Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Let me welcome you, one and all, to tonight's gathering of the film board from The Next Reel on Rashpixel.fm. We spoil movies, and on this show, we're going to break through the linchpin of the penultimate film of the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 3. This week introduces us to the Marvel superhero we've all been waiting for, Captain Marvel. 
So scrolls are the bad guys. And you're a Kree, a race of noble warriors. Heroes, noble warrior heroes. First things first, for our hosts, tell me some completely obscure thing about your distant past that no scrawl alien imitator person would be able to simulate. First up, uh, prove to us who you are, Andy Nelson. When I was a young boy, uh, the instrument that I played was the lap dulcimer. What? There's no <laughs> way that a scroll would know what a lap That's dulcimer right. is. <laughs> Because because no one knows what a lap dulcimer is. Very few people probably do. (laughs) That's that's good. All right. Steve Sarmento, what do you got? Who are you? If you were able to track down some of my close friends from junior high, they could verify that due to some actions that I took in the cafeteria, school policies had to be changed. That's an interesting yet vague fact. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, if I was really interrogating you to figure out if you were a scrawl imposter, I may press you on the details of that. But I assume that you're withholding that for a reason. So I will leave that alone for now. These guys call me JJ, and I used to spend an inordinate time uh, amount of time standing at the bottom of a disgusting pond behind my house just to feel the muck between my toes. And there is nothing that was healthy about that. But uh, whatever. What did you guys think of this movie? Let's start with initial thoughts from Steve. Captain Marvel. I just saw it this morning. I'm still burning through. But I I have to say, this movie made my heart happy. There's something about this character and the journey we go on with Carol and her her sort of self-discovery, uh, her accomplishments, her ability to learn her identity and, and stand her ground herself. Uh, just I think because I've got daughters. And I look at her as this role model for them. Uh, and we'll probably get into, you know, more details. But when, when she says, I have nothing to prove to you, I just made, I just was like, yes, th- I'm right there with her. That was a that. pretty sweet line. I agree with that. What did you think, Andy? I wanted it to make my heart happy. I, I think there are many, many good things about what they did here. Um, I, I think the character is a really interesting one. I enjoy her journey. I enjoy all of the supporting characters. I enjoy what the story is saying. Unfortunately, I felt like the directors never had a good handle on the way to construct the story and pace it in a way where I was emotionally invested in the story. And I I weirdly just constantly felt like there was a like a wall between me and the movie because I just I, I don't know the, the the directors I felt like they just they you know didn't know how to handle a big big budget movie like this and tell a story that needed more meat. I thought there was a lot of interesting stuff about uh, this character that just never. Uh, never was depicted in a way that gave me what I needed to kind of get emotionally invested in the story. And uh, and so that was frustrating because I, I think that it's all there. I just don't think that they uh, put it together in the right package. Okay. 
And it's, it's, I think it's interesting. There's two directors on this movie too. Um, and I'm not used to that. So maybe you can kind of, uh, when we get into it and talk about the people a little bit, we can talk about how that may have, uh, come to be and how that would be executed exactly. Cause that's, I've even seen them do press together about, uh, being the directors of this film. And I found that really interesting. It's, it's a new thing for me. I, I was ultimately very, very disappointed with this movie. Um, I was on a little bit of a roller coaster leading coming up to it, uh, because, I wanted it to be really great, and then I got really nervous that that this was going to be so important that uh, that they wasn't going to be able to live up to my expectations. And then I started seeing great press about it, and people were talking about it, and everybody was excited for this movie. I saw the Air Force advertisement uh, that was talking about the the women pilots of the Air Force, um, and I felt like they were that Marvel was really doing an interesting connection here that was going to have it stand apart from something, you know, like Wonder Woman that we saw in the DC universe, but ultimately. It felt really convoluted and fast and kind of felt like a shorthand comic book movie to me. And that was really, really difficult for me to handle. So I want to get into all that stuff. But first, I want to do like a really quick synopsis of this because I think we're going to touch on little parts of this. And maybe some of the talking points will actually point at this. And the way that I was kind of surprised right away when we started seeing the titles that were from Guardians of the Galaxy uh, and the same kind of typeface in the stuff that we saw on the screen, that I really felt like this came at us like a Guardians of the Galaxy prequel. Uh, and it was focusing a lot on the political reasons why the Cree race, which we've seen before in Ronan the Accuser and, and those folks are that Cree race is bad uh, in those movies, in the Guardians movies. Uh, and this kind of is meant as an origin story of why that is. Uh, and it plays a lot like the slow play reveal in Star Wars 1, 2, and 3, where our, uh, our main character and by proxy us, so Carol Danvers and us, us, are brainwashed into believing that the enforcement arm of the galaxy is the righteous one, right? That's kind of the Senate and the things from Star Wars. This is how I'm kind of parsing this out. You'll have to tell me if this is uh, wrong, but uh, it's righteous in that the rebellious terrorists are bad is how we look at it at the beginning. But then we learn the lesson that war in in itself is is bad and that this enforcement arm is, becomes the empire in the Star Wars. And here the Kree is the real bad people. Verse, that's our main character. And later we learn her name is Carol Danvers, is in possession of what seems to be an ultimate power and is being held back in her execution of it. This movie is about Carol finding herself, her power and using it to set the universe right. And that kind of sounds like a setup for the finale, right? Mm. Ultimate power. The end game, yes. that's what's coming out next month, right? Yes. Do you guys agree with that? Do you think that that's where this movie sat? Am, am I missing the point? Steve, maybe you should address that. Did I get pulled in the wrong direction in the way that I was feeling that political statement there? No, I think this is the, the challenge with with Marvel movies in general, particularly now that we're this far along. Yeah, 21. what number is this? Is this, this is 21. Wow. 21. Because the... the there are specific questions that must be answered and specific information that has to be introduced so that it's available in the MCU. And this was often one of my critiques of the the first, you know, two Thor movies was these were like placeholders to to get certain information into the into the MCU so that it was in play for later films. And I think that is a challenge with this one because from the end of Infinity War where, you know, Nick Fury, you know, we've got the pager, so we've got that set up. We then have to identify who this Captain Marvel character is and get information so that we have everything we need for 
Endgame. So you've got to sandwich all that in. How do things connect into the larger MCU? I know there are, when I got home, I looked and there are all of these articles about, hey, here's the timeline of the Tesseract because that shows up in this movie. And people are like, well, wait, how? Wh- where are we in the timeline? Where is the Tesseract? Does it make sense that this is where it is. How did it get here? Because we've seen it in, you know, the uh, Captain America, the the first Avenger, and then it, it appeared in, uh, you know, the Avengers movie. So tracking timeline. And that's the challenge with this. And then you also have to combine an origin story of who is this character? We need to identify who this person is, sort of what their affinities are, which side they're on, what their personality is like. We, you know, Captain Marvel is this you know, relatively unknown character. What's her personality like? Is she more like Tony Stark? Is she more like Steve Rogers? Who Who is she? So we've got all that work to do. Um, so I can see why with all that lifting going on, what is this movie really about? What is it trying to say? Plus, you know, we've got the Cree to, to get all of that in there and, and twists and flips and, and who's true and who's not plus the shape-shifting can you believe anyone is who they say they really are um that can make this movie i i think uh, appear to be a bit of a mess uh for me i know that i've got to sort of set that in my mind i set this aside of this is a traditional plot of good versus bad with a, an arc that's going to we're going to defeat the bad guy at the end and that's going to resolve everything because this story isn't about itself it's about a chapter in a much larger story so i really honed in on what i think is the strength of this is is carol's journey of self discovery well, and that's for me the strength so that's interesting though because then i kind of bump into some of the pace problems that andy was talking about because in the first the first act of the film we're really kind of pressed with this thing of she's she's trying to figure out who she is because she's had a memory wipe and all this stuff and so we go back and forth through her cree memories that are implanted to some degree and these human memories and i at no point did i actually get any of the emotion of her backstory the the origin story seems to some point glossed over because we as the audience are just as brainwashed as carol is and that first that first act i never really caught up with them I mean, Andy, is that where you felt the pace problems or was it just throughout? It was throughout, but I mean, that's that's a large part of it. I wanted to know who Carol was. I wanted to have this better sense of this character and really kind of get a read on her. And I never did. It was like it was very frustrating for me because we we would we sped through all of these flashbacks of her as a kid. And I mean, they were great bits of. And and I caught a lot of, uh, you know, what they were trying to do, the messages that they were trying to get across as far as her as this kid and the, you know, the familial issues that she was having with her father and brother or whatever they were. And, uh, you know, her desire to kind of, um, you know, break free and, you know, go faster and all those sorts of things, which was fine. But I never was emotionally connected to any of that. And to that end, I think that you look at something like the opening of Guardians of of the Galaxy and you have such a strong connection with that kid and his mother so that perfectly paced and it's what uh, yeah i don't know it's it's short but but we we get to know just enough of that character to have this emotional connection with him that i never felt with carol and it didn't help that brie larson uh you know the portrayal it's it's a frustrating portrayal and i i you know a lot of people have 
complained about the way that that Brie portrayed it because they say she feels wooden. It feels very, very stiff. And I 100 percent agree with that. But I also 100 percent say, yeah. you know what? That's kind of how these these uh, Cree are supposed to be. And so I get that she's right. trying oh, to kind point. of play it like a Cree, but unfortunately, it it just doesn't come across very well. And it ended up making for a very frustrating character for me to connect with. And, you know, I was reading a, a something that the directors had said, and this was, I, I don't know which of the directors actually said this, but either Anna or Ryan, they said that when they were first looking at it and they were looking at Kelly Sue DeConnick's version of Captain Marvel, which is largely the version that they pulled from, uh, which is, I think, the most one of the more recent ones, like 2012, I think, is when Kelly Sue started uh, writing the character. And she said that's the, their version is what really made it click for her. They said Kelly Sue's Carol was brash, irreverent, emotional, funny, and most importantly to us as storytellers, she was complicated, messy. This was the Carol that deserved her own movie. And I'm like, I didn't see that, Carol. Like, I got little hints no. of it, but nowhere was it this interesting of a character and for me that made it so frustrating and i loved that moment at the end but i'm like where were the moments that built to that for me so that's it it just it never congealed and i don't know if it's just pacing or just the way that they constructed the script i feel like they could have found ways to to kind of imbue more of that emotional connection throughout it so i really wanted to kind of continue along this ride with her but i also have to acknowledge like i walked out of it with my wife and daughter and they were like, oh, my God, that was the best film. That was like my my oh, favorite Marvel movie. So so wow. I acknowledge That's that cool. I, there I, is a disconnect maybe for me. I don't know. Steve, who did you see it with? I, I saw it by myself. I'm taking my wife, my youngest daughter and her friend tomorrow. And I think, you know, part of it is, yes, we see all those scenes where it's like, you know, and I don't say it's familial issues, Andy, like the whole thing about her driving too fast. It's the this is what boys can do. This is what girls can't do, because my wife in high school wanted to be an archaeologist. And her counselor was like, no, that's not a thing girls do. Uh, and that's what I terrible. saw throughout this. That's all I saw all throughout this was. In those flashbacks, yeah, she as a girl and as a woman being told, no, you can't do this. Why do you think it's called no, no, a no, cockpit? You know, I, all I, I of meant, that stuff, uh, yeah. I think, is I part that of that because I And maybe I misinterpreted, but and I think I read somebody else might have commented on this, that w- there was a flash in there that made it seem like there might be some like abuse from her father or something. So maybe I misread that. See, I don't get that. I see it as just, a, the, for me, the emotion, I think, is going to, probably resonate more with the women in the audience because guys have not grown up being told you can't do these things you know even to the point where you know we've got you know they can't they they're in the air force they can't be fighter pilots you know they this is these things that they're being continuously told they cannot do and she is a character that does not like being told what she can't do and to me that was i i I totally acknowledge what you're putting there steve what i would have liked to have seen as an audience member is to experience that with Carol Danvers, as opposed to being told it in exposition later on. And I feel the same way about the things that you mentioned, Andy, which is that sort of irreverent and brash character, that in general, we didn't experience that as part of the story. We were told it anecdotally through other characters, where Jude Law later on talks about, you know, I thought I liked you, but really you just annoyed me. Or like, and with the character with Minerva, like, is there a reason we never hung out? Like, all the stuff that would have made us understand who Captain Marvel and Carol Danvers was as a person, as a character, was all kind of told to us in flashback, which, again, I get why they did that. That's the frame of the story. We're put there. But 
I think the Guardians of a Galaxy example is such a great example of we go along for the ride with the character in that movie and in this character we're in the or in this movie we're in the dark with the character and are learning it as we go and because of that it felt really it felt like a thin exposition of what those things were as opposed to us really getting to get emotionally invested in those things as well one of the things i talked about this being the linchpin of the marley you know wrapping up phase three here uh one of the one of the things that was really hard for me is that nothing about the mcu other than the easter eggs was revealed to me in this movie and i have this question that i wanted to pose to you guys which is what was revealed to you about the marvel cinematic universe by putting this movie at this time number 21 in the series why is it here um for the for me the biggest part was that this wasn't that big of a turn it felt like another origin story but i don't really understand anything about captain marvel's powers or why she's going to be important in endgame i mean she seems really strong but why because she i mean she basically absorbed the energy i guess not directly from but secondhand through the 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 power pack or whatever on the jet from the Tesseract. So basically, oh, she oh. absorbed Tesseract energy because the Tesseract yeah. is what powered the you know light speed I jet. Didn't get and she, that. When that expl- okay, she totally. That's, that's why huge. she's okay. Amped up. It's it's yeah, yeah. It's Infinity Stone power that she is powered by. Got it. Okay, so that's so and that is a huge change. So I didn't understand that because so where was but the Tesseract didn't show up until. It didn't technically show up until we get to her to uh, Marvel's lab in space. But so we're saying that right? Was it a piece of the Tesseract or something that, that no, they blew no, no. up when so the it was, plane crashed? It's, when she blew it up, it was like, oh, well, we've lost the the power source. And it's like, no, that the power source is actually up on the lab. This oh. that was just yeah. The Got it was it. the the energy source was up there. They used that energy source to power the jet so that's so that's a big thing so going back to my question yeah. then if we look at it then so captain marvel is has the same power in effect of one of the infinity stones right right that's a pretty big deal yes yeah <laughs> yeah that's why it to me this is you know why at this point in time that's why there's discussion about you know the Tesseract and who who has it. So how did... Yeah, how did it go you know, from Nick it, it, desk to wherever it shows up next? So it's... So Captain America, First Avenger, you know, Red Skull has it and then it falls out the bottom of the jet into the ocean or whatever. Uh, Stark, Tony Stark's dad, retrieves it. So basically, S.H.I.E.L.D. has it. Um, and so... The speculation is that, okay, S.H.I.E.L.D. is collaborating with the Air Force or whatever, somehow involved in the creation of this, you know, light speed engine. Got it. The Pegasus Pegasus Project. That's been mentioned before. And so that, so then, yes, then it ends up back on Nick Fury's desk um, at the end. And we know that S.H.I.E.L.D. still has it because at the beginning of the Avengers, that's when they're tinkering around with this this Tesseract, and that's what leads to all the events of, you know, Wait, the first Avengers who, film. who's tinkering around with it in the first one? I don't In remember. the first Avengers, yeah. that's uh, Dr. Uh, uh, gosh, the, the Doctor. The Thor, Thor Doctor. The Thor movies. He is yeah. tinkering around the Tesseract. 
Yeah, because and then it opens up, and then Loki comes through the portal, he, takes the. Yeah, I just don't know because the whole thing is the it. battle for the Tesseract. Yeah. Well, because Shield always well Shield had it, and they asked after the events of Thor. Right. They asked the Doctor to come and say, "Hey, we're trying to. This is a potential like infinite sure. energy source. This could be great for the world." And they're, they're having him work on it, and right. that's when Loki gets involved, and things go off the rails from there. Pretty wild, pretty wild. So that, yes. so I guess that's setting us up for an interesting thing. Then, I mean, the, the, my thing is that I just didn't understand. I, I didn't make that connection. So I felt like she just seemed really powerful, but we had no sense of what that is. And if the possibility now is there that any one person can absorb the power of any one Infinity Stone, that leaves a new potential conspiracy theory for the way that the heroes or th- people involved are going to overpower Thanos. It will. Yeah. Well, we've got that. We've got, uh, obviously the Ant-Man element where he's, you know, dealing with the quantum verse, uh, you know, kind of all of the stuff going on on, on that, that infinitely small scale, which is supposed to play in. I think there are going to be a lot of elements brought in that, that are going to make it, uh, very interesting. And, uh, and I think somebody actually, this is going off on a tangent here, but somebody threw out a, that there was a, an Easter egg, which I missed in the, uh, in the teaser that they released for it, or I guess it's the trailer, um, that hinted at the Iron Man version that Tony would make for Pepper and she would be her own uh, Iron Man character. Yeah. Is that, do we, how much, how much credence do you give to that? I don't think that that's where they're going. With I, they, they were suggesting that they um, that it's possible if she does don whatever the mantle is of uh, I'm trying to find the name of that character um, that she might possibly be the one who puts that suit on and actually goes out and finds uh, Tony when he's lost in space and bring him back. Wow. So that's that was the speculation that I had read. So, yeah, this movie's going to be like 12 hours long <laughs> in April. <laughs> um yeah i i I, this is a really interesting revelation for me so thanks steve i didn't get it at all and i was really confused i mean uh i didn't put those two and two together that she was basically an infinity stone um so that's pretty amazing and 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 with that i mean they have said time and time again that you know she is the most powerful of their superheroes um so I I think right. with that and then knowing that she basically is kind of this infinity stone character, I think it's going to give a lot of interesting stuff for them to play around with uh, as we jump into that film. So, yeah, yeah, she is what we all had thought vision was going to be uh, in the first one, but he was so easily dispatched. Um, so that's interesting. Um, so that makes it a little bit, I guess, more powerful for me but Micah I I mentioned this Andy to you in the pre-show my feeling about this movie and kind of the reason why I was so deflated in what we watched with it is that it felt like it was uh, the Marvel Cinematics Universe's version of Solo without the historically uh, loved character in that the most fun things to me about this movie were the Easter eggs as opposed to the story that was here Um, so that piece about the Tesseract and us going on that long sort of hitchhike 
to figure out where it was. Again, that's another piece of the thing that I would have needed to be able to put that together for me to find that much enjoyment in what was going on in that movie. Well, and I, I think that's a tricky uh, comparison only because I think Solo has just uh, just so many flaws. And as I mentioned in our pre-show conversation, the largest of which is it it kind of feels a little boring. You know, on rewatch, it's just not very gripping. It's kind of forgettable. I don't feel that about this film. I think this film has okay. so much going for it. And I think for me, it just ends up being so frustrating because I feel like, like I said, I mean, there's just so much good that they're building with this film that unfortunately, I just don't think it was in the right hands to deliver it. And I just, I, it's just, oh, just it kills me because I just don't think that Anna Boden and Ryan Fleck were the right directors. And I don't think they had the right composer because I think the music doesn't deliver any of the emotion that I wanted to kind of feel from this film. And it's just, it was, it was, uh, it was just frustrating, but I don't, I, yeah, but I don't think that it fell to that level for me that Solo did. Well, I'm glad you brought that up about the directors. Cause I, we talked about it a little bit in the introduction. Do you know why they would have that sort of dual. Well, it's a directing pair. Role. And how would they make these that guys work? have been a directing pair forever? I mean, they like okay. for you know all the way back to film school, really. And they they dated. I don't know if they've ever gotten yeah. married, but they um, they've been together for a very long time as a pair, starting as writers. Doing, uh, I think they wrote Half Nelson was their first film uh, that they wrote, and then and Ryan directed that one, not a yeah. co-directed thing. And then they did Sugar together. Uh, and then it's kind of a funny story and Mississippi grind with Ben Mendelsohn and which was a trailer pick. Okay. Uh, so you guys can certainly throw that into the mix for trailer rewind one of these days. Oh yeah. Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. And then, and then finally this, yeah. and it's, um, it's an odd set of films for them to, for the, the, team at marvel to look at and go yes these guys are the ones that we should bring on and and they were considered actually back all the way to guardians of the galaxy this was one of the pairs that they originally considered for that as well well now it looks like i mean do they have a new director for guardians of the galaxy 3 now i, I mean, don't know what's going on this is that. essentially while the while the guardians movies are not made this is essentially a piece of the guardians puzzle it is uh i uh I, I'm just, uh, yeah, they still don't have a director attached to that. Interesting. Have you ever worked with a director pair like that, Andy? No. Although weirdly, this is a weird thing. I almost worked on Sugar with this pair. Oh, really? How weird is that? Yeah, they, filmed, awesome. they filmed a good chunk of it uh, here in uh, in the Phoenix area. They didn't ask you to do Half Nelson. <laughs> That's silly <laughs> stupid but yeah i just don't know how it would work and so that's that's interesting and i know that yeah i've i mean i've heard of of directing pairs in the past but i was wondering if there was something specific about this but that background is very helpful on it and it sounds like i mean all those movies you mentioned there's nothing like this this is well and it's i mean it, from a comic book standpoint or even action i guess yeah right, right? And, but and it's 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 one of those things that i mean we've talked about this countless times on the show I mean, even Iron Man right now with John Favreau and the fact that they brought him on. But we talked about that when we did, talked about Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom and and bringing that director on. Sure. And, and it's it's very much a thing that a lot of studios are doing now is bringing on kind of these these indie directors to direct these tentpole films uh, because uh, you know they they want to kind of have that vision um, of some new blood, but they also want to be able to kind of control it. And nobody. Nobody likes right. those David Fincher Alien Three types of situations. They, you know, they want people that they can control. 
but who have have quote visions. So this definitely felt like it was it was checking off the boxes for Marvel. So, um, you know, I don't know whether or not um, whether or not you mentioned whether or not they were right for the job or not. It was tough for me to tell because it just felt like another Marvel movie to me. I feel like uh, this was the the poorest pacing of any Marvel film that I've seen. I, I just felt like, I don't know if pacing is the right word, but just the way this story was constructed, I feel like uh, even some of their sloppier films um, have had uh, just a, a better flow of the story. And I've felt more connection with the characters like this one. And I, I don't know. I, I I know I said that my wife and my daughter loved it, but I mean, for a huge bulk of the film, like there was no laughter in the in the theater and it was a full house that I saw it in and it was just kind of largely quiet. And sometimes there were some jokes and stuff. And I'm like, I, I, I feel like people should laugh, but nobody was. And I don't know. It, it was there weird. Were, there was no laughter in my theater either. Steve, was there was there a really? laugh line? That, that oh, yeah. Pretty- well, first first off, there there was first off, there was the whole Marvel Stanley oh, sure. opening thing yeah, that, that got that was cheers amazing. and applause. That was, that was fantastic. That was, oh, you got applause. That's that, great. I like hearing. No, that. we had applause for that. Yeah. No, there were there were laughs. I mean, there were. Yes, there's the the, you know, yes, let's laugh at outdated technology. You know, put the CD in. What what what's going on? It's loading. You know, there's those those got laughs in my theater. Those little little lines. There were yes, it wasn't huge laughs, but yes, there were there were laughs. I, I I agree. There were moments where I thought this should be a bigger laugh, or this is this is funny to me, and I'm chuckling, but other people aren't. And so I, yes, Andy, I agree. There are some pieces that felt it just fell a little flat that I ex- would have expected more. And I I will agree with you that. For me, things work together, but yes, it doesn't. You don't have the the big swells of emotion that you'll get out of things. I didn't feel as emotionally manipulated as I do by some other films. Uh, but on the other hand, yes, it did feel a little flat in some areas where this should be a big moment, and it it's not quite feeling that. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. They had five people listed on the script, which I thought was interesting. And I went down the list of the the other people on it. One is a former writer, or I shouldn't say former, but a contributor to the writing on Guardians of the Galaxy, which is interesting because it's pulled there. Uh, another one who's on the list, um, uh, the name for uh, the first one, that the person that I was talking about is Nicole Perlman. She wrote Guardians, was one of the writers yeah. on Guardians of the Galaxy. And then I see the and name. I think she's behind Detective Pikachu, too. Oh, well, I like that. Uh, and then the name Geneva Robertson mm-hmm. Dwarf. Or Dore. She uh, is um, listed with a whole bunch of scripts announced, and one of them listed on there is Silver Sable, which is a female character from the Marvel, well, from the Marvel so comics Spider-Man universe. Side of things, um, I think that's coming over from Sony. Spider-Man side of things, yes, and has a connection also to S.H.I.E.L.D. So that's interesting, too, when you consider that uh, Spider-Man Far From Home is going to introduce him to S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, it's interesting to see that maybe there's those things happening, at least that it's announced. Uh, you wonder if she's going to be one of the Fox properties or if she's going to be one of the Silver Sable character, now that I'm talking about one of the Fox properties or one of the uh, the Disney properties as they kind of meld together going right. forward. So, uh, so yeah, so you have these five collaborators on the, on the script, two of them, including Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. Um, so all that stuff is interesting. I think, you know, I don't know if pacing is the right word either, Andy. I think, uh, that first, the first act was really tough for me pacing wise. And again, it just felt because of the frame they were telling us, uh, telling us the story through, I felt as confused about, 
uh, who Carol Danvers was as she did. And that may be by design, but I think that's a poor choice if that's the way that they would t- uh, chose to tell the story. Yeah. I mean, I love those like cool flashbacks, like when she's in the mind frack device that the that the the scrolls have her in and they're flashing through her mind and they're i i I, that was brilliant when they're like almost like rewinding and fast forwarding her memories that was so much fun to watch i had a blast the way that that was playing unfortunately i never got any of those um whole like i never got to see them and i think that's that would have really helped and so it's it's unfortunate which is again the experience of the character right i mean honestly that's if if you're writing the story i guess that's the insight that the writers are are trying to convey there but it just made it really hard to understand for me um you mentioned that brie larson seemed a little wooden at places so maybe it was hard for her to understand too it's possible yeah i I don't don't know. know i don't know I, I, I thought she was great. I, I like her there. Uh, I, I'm glad that they selected her. I see that there was a ton of people that were uh, potentially on board to play this character. I'm really happy with her uh, in the role. I think she's going to be able to do good things. Uh, but I felt she was wooden too, and maybe that was the Cree influence. I felt like there was a lot of power posing going on that they had her set a lot uh, as they entered shots and as they left them. Uh, the one that I think of is just before that great uh, line that you mentioned, Steve, when she and Jude Law, the Yan Rog character, are having their standoff, that um, they're constantly posed. And I felt that way in this movie. I haven't really felt that way about Marvel movies in the past as much. Uh, it's something that I definitely catch from DC a lot. Um, and that usually means a negative thing for me. Um, but I hope that they, moving forward with this character, that they open her up a little bit more and allow her to be more human as she progresses forward. I, I love Brie Larson. I think that she's an incredible actress. And uh, I hate you know the elements of society that that uh, bag on her because she is outspoken. I, I just think that's nonsense. And I think there are these people and these these elements that that are just dark and unnecessary. And it's just ridiculous. I think that she's doing so much good um, for, uh, you know, society and just and and pushing things uh, to be better. And I, I think that's fantastic. Um, I think I, I, again, I, I, I can't fault her for her performance. I just, I felt like it was a little stiff, a little wooden. And after reading that quote from the directors about, this is why we love Carol Danvers. I'm like, well, I wish that I saw that because it sounds like a fantastic version. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff right. here. I think her relationships with the other characters, I think, um, is what helps the most because like, as she relates to them, I think that there's that connection. And I think for me, the strongest one um possibly was um her friend's daughter like i i just liked that there seemed to be uh a little bit more of a connection there i thought that was uh, a pretty touching relationship right and if and if we're apologizing for the film again this concept of the cree nature or her cree brainwashing has made her more wooden then we can say that those relationships and those sort of reflections of who she was as a human is what uh, what's kind of bringing Carol back to us in that I just I just wanted more of it I think that they could have done more of that dynamic uh, irreverent personality I would have liked to have seen hey, I have to ask you guys a question because now you you brought up the the brainwashing and I never felt like she was brainwashed and I guess this is a question I have because I felt like 
okay, my sense of what happened in the past uh, is that, you know, the the whole spaceship, they crash it after getting attacked. Um, uh, Annette Bening's character uh, dies and then Jan Rog comes over the the uh, the horizon and um and uh Carol shoots the ship blows up gets absorbs the energy and by doing that loses her memory meanwhile the the Kree take her in and kind of turn her into one of them as he says he pumped his blood into her turned her into basically a Kree and trained her and everything and it, so that they can uh keep tabs on her is that right what was the reason that they're they're doing all this because they know that she has this power yeah i don't know exactly but i do feel that she was brainwashed i mean because they were using her as a weapon you get that kind of from ronan the accuser when he finally understands yeah, well, what she has power wise at the end right well if you go back to the very beginning when we have you know, we start off, our opening shot is this, you know, during the crash. And what we see is we see Veers on the ground. You know, she's got green blood coming from her. She looks up and she sees um, a scroll, a scroll come and shoot, you know, Annette Benning, um, which when we get to later in her memory, that's not how things played out at all. So I I don't think there's anything that explicitly says brainwashing and it's, there's always the, the trick of memory of if that's what she has was told had happened, that that's what her memory would be. But that's what I found interesting is we get that version at the beginning. And then when we get later on her actual recollection of, of what goes down there with the, the ship that I was like, Oh, this is, this is not how it happened. We had her memory. Now, I, I don't know if it's brainwashing, but I could say that for somebody that doesn't, that's due to trauma, has lost their memory and then is is raised up in this Cree culture that, yeah, they're they're going to be defining who her what her reality is. Um, and, you know, whether that's, you know, enculturation or brainwashing, you know, there's there's lots of terms for that. But clearly, yes, yeah, she was living in a certain reality that she had been told the way things were. Um, yeah, to the extent to how much of that was politics because they realized how powerful she was and that's why they kept trying to have her control her emotions so that they could then, you know, they know she's a weapon that if unleashed is, is a threat to them. So it makes sense that it's in their best interest to train her to be a warrior, but one that restrains her emotions so that she doesn't realize the full extent of her powers. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know ultimately what their end game is with that. Of you've got this great weapon. When are you gonna? Is it that she needs to prove that she's gonna be the compliant soldier? Uh, because clearly, you know, Carol Danvers is not, as we see, you know, from her childhood memories, she's not somebody that's gonna take orders or be told that she can't do something. And we even see that, you know, during the the sort of the raid to get, you know, to um, go and and get the spy that's been captured you know she's like we got to go across no 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 that's not he realizes no that's she's going to do what she wants to do and i guess that's the the balance that the kree have to manage of we've got this weapon we can control her to a certain extent but we have to be cautious because if she realizes her power she's going to become so they're just they're just doing it to keep her Um, under wraps so they can kind of control the weapon and not let it fall into somebody else's hands yeah, that's what that's what I I would say, and and f- for me it's that 
you know, restoring memory that, you know, relearning who she is um, to me that, yeah, when you, I wouldn't say it's brainwashing from the Cree, but, you know, living day by day, not knowing who you are, um, it, to me that, yeah, I can see that. I don't know that I'd call it wouldn't. I thought the scenes she had with Sam Jackson were great. I, I love the relationship between those two. I had a lot of fun with, you know, sort of the, the younger, softer fury. Um, and I, I just really enjoyed the scenes, uh, whether it's, you know, at the, at the bar, their conversation about, you know, sharing memories, everything. I, I love the chemistry between those two. I really, yeah, they had great me. chemistry. I, I agree on that count. I, I, and, and actually I'd throw Clark Gregg into the mix there because it was just, I thought, uh, when he was, uh, paired up with Nick Fury also, they had some great scenes together. That was great. And I, so I, that, that we go back to that sort of the wooden, if we're making apologies for the film, if the woodenness was a choice, the chemistry that, that the character that Brie Larson exhibited in her character with everyone else, I think was really great. And I, and I'd even say the same thing about Lashana Lynch when they come and they meet uh, her best friend and her best friend's daughter. These are all things that, uh, that Brie Larson as an actress really demonstrated the chemistry appropriately. So again, if it was a choice, if we, if, if we say it, that, that would be a positive to this film that we see how important this woman is and how, and how great all these actors relationships come off. I agree with the point about, uh, about Coulson. I thought he was, I thought he was great. And I think he's been particularly great in every Marvel movie that he's been in, but he was super important. He was, you know, he was the, the person that allowed things to happen in this movie. I think it was wonderful. I was disappointed, I will say, in Lashana Lynch. I mean, I thought she was fine. I, oh, I, I thought she was fine as an actress. I was just disappointed in what they gave us for her. I I, I, I felt fair. like uh, she was great as as Rambo, who uh, actually will at some point, or at least in the in the comics, I believe she does at some point take up the Captain Marvel mantle, which I think is pretty interesting. Interesting, but she. Um, uh, Again, I, I think this is just my complaint about the way that the flashbacks were were dealt with and the fact that I felt like there was this great relationship there and I never got to see it except in these little hints that never gave me enough. I wanted so much more of yeah. that. I mean, that's the thing. They have this cooperative advertising uh, advertisements with the Air Force and the, the female pilots of the Air Force talking about this sort of great tradition that we have. And, I, you know, it felt like it was so anecdotal in the movie. And those little snips, like, give us, I don't know, give us five minutes of it or something. I just, I wanted more of that, too. I think, I think it could have been served much better. Yeah, it really could have. Um, uh, ben Mendelsohn, I thought was great. I thought I liked him as the crawl. <laughs> I thought he, I thought he did a, a great job. I, uh, you know, you don't really see him, but you, you'd get his character through all the, all the makeup. Yeah. I'm used to seeing him as like the villains, like in ready player one and, and rogue one. So it was nice to see uh, the, the, the humorous side, uh, of him in this one. I, it was, it was like the lighter bit his, and his uh, humor I, was I really the enjoyed most, that. The, one, the humor that worked the most for me. I didn't really laugh at many other people, but when he was being funny, um, in tense situations, most of the time, I was happy. I would thought that was actually clever. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, um, but I don't think that he could top the the humor from the Flurkin. I think that is what got the most laughs. Uh, and yes. oh my goodness, yes. my kids just are, were just in love. And and I mean, we've been calling our cats Flurkins ever since. So it's it was a delight but uh but yeah but ben was great um and but and then you know a weird story point that i have 
um, which, you know, I guess it might be neither here nor there. But did he kill Nick Fury's original boss and then take up his mantle disguised as him? He said he tied him up. He did say that? He said he tied okay, him I up. I guess I missed that. Um, yeah. Because yeah. they don't have no, no, to kill no, no. them I know, to take I know, them. I know. Then where was Because yeah. we never see that guy again. Yeah. And I'm like, did he did he take him out? Yeah. Like, I, I guess that was just a random little note. Okay. So no, potentially no, because they did give us that line. Yeah. Um, but you're right. We never see him again. So we just have to trust that he that that's right. what happened. Right, right. For Jude Law, how come Jude Law and well, how come Jan Rog and Marvel are not blue? I um was I, I heard something about this as far as the Cree and how there are uh, like different races of Cree, just like there are different races of of human. And that some and it has to do with um, if they are exposed to certain chemicals in the atmosphere or something like that. Um, I, I can't exactly remember. But, yeah, there's um, um, yeah, they have um, uh, pink skinned ones. They have uh, the blue skinned ones. And and then there's yeah. obviously Korath, who is uh, I I I. I don't know if I'd call him an African American. I don't know what I call him in the in the in the Cree variant, but yeah. uh, and then he's there too. So, um, oh yeah, he's darker yeah. skinned, but he's yeah. Cree as well. That's it says okay. This is this yeah, is a I, random note from uh, Marvel uh, the Wikia. Uh, let's see. Uh, Let's see the da, da, da. interbreeding with various other races led to the creation of a secondary race of Cree with pink skin. The pink Cree would eventually come to outnumber the blue Cree. Really? So, yeah. I thought Jude Law was uh, pretty much uh, he was fine. It, it, he didn't seem like much of a character to me. It was pretty straightforward the whole way through. I thought Annette Benning had some interesting shifts in playing, you know, sort of this imposter of the supreme intelligence and stuff. I didn't like her early on when she was trying to be sympathetic to the Carol, to the verse character, the Carol Danvers character. But when she became sort of the bad guy, even though it wasn't actually the Marvel character, it was the supreme intelligence uh, masquerading as Marvel. That was some of the best stuff I liked of hers when she was more extreme and less um, less subtle. Well, and that was paired with a really interesting scene when when uh, uh, Danvers is, uh, I don't know what you'd say, tied up by the AI, yeah, by the AI system. Yes. And, yeah, shackled, uh, that, yeah. Everything that she was going through internally in that was really cool with kind of the, the way that she'd fall up on the wall and it was like a liquid thing that she was falling into and visually yeah. really interesting stuff going on there lee pace as shows up again as ronan I, I that was the big kind of i took both my kids to it too that was the big uh connection that they had to the original movies of the of the universes they, they were saying oh wait is this where ronan becomes bad and it was interesting for them to ask that <laughs> early on when there was the difference between ronan yeah. and yanrog and then for them to have the realization you know my kids are seven and nine um to have them realization that oh wait all the Cree are bad was a really interesting bad. thing yeah. And then to have the setup with with Ronan there, um, I felt like he was even less of a character in this movie than we got from him in the Guardians movies. And this is my uh, this is possibly my biggest complaint in yeah. this whole movie because what did they do to Lee Pace? Oh my god! Like I was watching this and I'm like, oh, 
it's too bad that they couldn't get Lee Pace to come back to play his role. He didn't sound like Lee. He didn't look like Lee. Like the makeup was bad. Right. And I'm like, oh, that's not him. And every time he'd come back on screen, I'm like, gosh, he's just not quite getting it right. This actor is close, but not quite there. And I was, and, and then at the end, it's Lee Pace. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. They brought Lee back and they made him look like some, some pseudo Lee who's not Lee. Oh, it was like right. the worst thing I'd ever seen. I've never seen them bring an actor back to play a role and make them not look like themselves or sound like themselves oh i don't know what happened with that well are you talking are you talking about the no, lack no, no. of the black no it's just on him but like because, his blue okay, like i mean just the blue it, it didn't look like yeah. the same quality blue it didn't seem to have kind of like, that shimmeriness yeah. that he had last time but also he just like his face yeah. didn't look the same and i'm like maybe maybe well he's he's 20 he's 20 years younger I don't know if they tried to de-age him on that. No, I thought he looked, uh, you know, I was like, maybe he's older and more bloated and has been drinking a lot. I don't know. because he. Yeah. Oh, wait, this is the Orlando <laughs> Bloom uh, showing back up as Legolas in the Hobbit movies. <laughs> I, got, I yeah. bought that. Got I b- <laughs> dad bod Legolas coming back. I bought that a lot more. I, I could tell that that was Orlando even Bloom. Yeah. Wow. Oh, this did not so look like Lee Pace no, at all. I was so surprised no, when no, his name not. came up in the credits. I was like, oh my God, what? Oh, <laughs> so disappointed. Yeah. It, uh, uh, I, again, I thought he was pretty thin and there wasn't really much for him to do there at all. Um, one other note that I wanted to say from the cast was the uh, McKenna Grace. And I want to bring her up because uh, we just uh, were talking yes. about Itania recently, and McKenna Grace. But we didn't talk about her and Itania. Right. McKenna but, Grace uh, played. Yeah, the, but I saw her. The, yeah. sort of, uh, older, young Tanya Harding in Itania, uh, and she played the thirteen-year-old uh, Carol here, the one that uh, is sort of on her uh, her go kart and crashes and then gets right. up uh, injured and but but proud. Um, I think she's kind of great. Uh, she, uh, she's gonna, she's got these big roles now of these big movies. It's going to be interesting to see her grow up and see what she does next. I wonder if she kind of got into this through, uh, working on that film gifted. Um, uh, I don't know it. What is she doing? uh, Well, she, she acted, um, uh, with, uh, what's his name? Who is in gifted? Why am I blanking on, on that already? It was, um, uh, uh, Chris Evans. Oh, cool! She played his his uh, his oh. niece that he's raising after his sister died, and there he's in that custody battle with his mom, and it looked pretty interesting. Um, but uh, it came out 2017 also, and so I wonder if that's just one of those things where he might have mentioned oh, to yeah. uh, the people of Marvel, you know, this McKenna, she's pretty good. Might want to throw mm, her in there. She can do this. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, and I see a note here about uh Kelly Sue DeConnick as well. Um, yeah, she's was she in the She movie? is. Uh yeah, Kelly Sue uh, uh popped in the uh somewhere in the the um the train scene. Uh I, I think one of the train stations the train in when oh, when she's okay. Oh, okay. The LA yeah. the LA yeah. rail line yeah. scene. Yeah, she's okay. somewhere in there and I missed her but I read online people were very excited that uh, they're like oh Kelly Sue was in there did you see her and I'm like oh, I totally missed that she was there so Interesting. Very cool. Oh, uh, speaking uh, in, of in cast, of... though, um, before we jump out of this, sorry to, to interrupt. Uh, we didn't we no, didn't write ahead. down in our notes no. uh, Stan Lee. We I think need to throw him in here and, and his cameo. Oh. <laughs> yes, yes. Is, so, the, is this the I read last an interesting... one? No, I don't believe so. Uh, no, I no. I think there's one in uh, Endgame. Yeah, but 
I read an article about this Stanley cameo because it 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 poses interesting questions. Because in like you, barefoot well, so, questions? Or? No, 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 no. I know where so, you're going with well, no, no. So if you you know you know where I'm going with this. So yes, yeah, so Stanley is on the bus or train or whatever, and he's reading the script for Mallrats, and he's practicing his line. Um, so in Mallrats, you know, Stanley is playing Stanley, and that Stanley is famous for writing comic books so if we're in the marvel cinematic universe and the stan lee in the marvel cinematic universe is famous for writing the comic books for spider-man and incredible huck and those people live in the marvel cinematic universe what (laughs) is going on it's all folding in on itself (laughs) it is it is but i love that just to see that you know it, to me, it put to rest the whole like theory that oh, Stanley is this you know watcher, yes. you know, because he's all over. I'm like, no, it's just Stanley is Stanley, and apparently, maybe he's just God Wait, where did, in the Marvel where did Cinematic you see these Universe. Conspiracy theory, Steve, was it online somewhere? Yeah, uh, it's online. I I can well, find the, I think the article and didn't take it back it and then the link notes, our link yeah. our recording from last month's the film board about Happy Death Day to you in multiple dimensions, <laughs> <laughs> and let them do that because that would be yeah. an interesting way to hash that out. I think Kevin Smith actually even said something about it when he tweeted uh, after he after he watched it. Yeah. He had a nice tweet about the film uh, where he's like totally in tears. But but he said, uh, uh, oh, well, because yes. he says, but I mean, his thing was, but but if I'm now part of the Marvel Universe, I have, only have one question. Did I survive the snap? <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and of course he would care yeah. about that. That's but great. I think that led people down that. this road of, wait a minute, if he's part of the universe and then it kind of spiraled into this whole thing of, right. of all that. So uh, as far as camera on this movie, I, there wasn't a whole lot of like particularly uh special camera stuff for me to really latch on to the cinematographer uh on it was ben davis uh which one of you fo- wonderful folks wrote down also shot guardians of the galaxy and um the ultron avengers 2 movie and dr strange right. which is interesting because those movies i think are all really bold in terms of camera uh maybe not ultron so much but the other two for sure i really like what the kind of things they're doing creatively with the camera are in that movie this in this movie i feel like the only really creative stuff is through effects I I think that that there's um, I mean, I don't know, actually, now that I'm about to say this, I don't know if it's necessarily uh, uh, a note that I would credit specifically to him or to him paired with the directors. But I think there was some nice framing that we did that there was kind of this interesting consistency with some shots where we'd have like the character. Typically, it was it was. Carol centered in the screen, turning and like facing directly into the camera, you know, whether it was her as the little girl or as the older character, um, it was throughout. And it was it was kind of this consistent thing that was kind of almost a represent a representation of kind of her taking this moment to to find the strength within herself. And that was a moment that I, I really That's liked. Great. And I actually noticed it mainly because in one of the trailers, one of the early trailers, like they cut all those shots like back to back to back. And so you kept seeing it very consistently. And so I knew it was kind of a thing, but um, I, but it was something that I really liked uh, how they did that because I thought it was a great representation for her character. We talked a little bit about music earlier. I, 
it's a neat idea with the, I shouldn't say neat, that actually makes it sound diminished. I think it's a great idea to uh, put in a bunch of period piece music uh, all by a female artists in the film. Uh, some of the music cues were great. Um, uh, most notably, I think just a girl during the big fight scene between, um, Captain Marvel and all the Kree, um, in my theater, it was way too quiet. I mean, uh, it, it's almost as if the balance of the, the music to the effects was off that I was hearing too much effects and not enough music. I want, and Guardians of the Galaxy, like they slam those music cues at you. You know, when you hear, um, uh, when you hear, uh, what is it? Brandy at the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy two, it takes over your entire experience of that movie. And these music cues needed that kind of yeah. respect as well. And they didn't have it. Uh, well, well, some of them were just terribly misplaced though. Waterfalls, to put in waterfalls when they're driving from the city to the secret uh, location where everything is. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it literally felt like they were reaching a little bit to just drop in some of the greatest songs from the 90s. And I, I, while some of them were so wonderful, that really took me out of the film sometimes that I just like, oh, yeah, I get what you're trying to do here. Um, so in general, I was like, great idea, just poorly executed. It's always uh, uh you know one of those things where it feels like guardians it's felt so much in those films like yeah the director clearly had passion for the soundtrack that he was putting together for it and it it happened yeah. to work really well in context of the film in this one i think i i mean i think i'd largely agree with you i think uh 90 of the time i think the music choices that they picked worked really well but i think there were a few choices in there i'm like eh, I, that, that one didn't quite work for me yeah. but i will yeah. i will uh, <laughs> counter your point about the sound quality though i saw this in dolby atmos and uh, I had zero yes. problem with the presentation of the songs, uh, particularly awesome. that one. I mean, then and yeah, that makes me so much happier because I mean, I was literally even in that fight scene where it was so great. I just wanted so much more of it. So maybe it was my theater. Maybe uh, it was the style yeah. that it was in for you to see it in the top real sound quality available and hear that it was great. I really like hearing that. Yeah, no, I, I saw an Atmos as well. I didn't really have any issues with sound, uh, but related to music um because you know carol is wearing a nine inch nails shirt yeah. for such yeah. a, a you know good part of the movie actually you can go to the nine inch nails store you can buy that t-shirt or they also have a special one that has the nine inch nails logo with the captain marvel sort of like nice. star cool. symbol behind it if you if you want your captain marvel nine inch nails uh t-shirt those are available over at the nine inch nails store right now they're uh which i you know <laughs> If in 1995 you had asked me would would Trent Reznor and and Nine Inch Nails be part of Disney, I would have said what? <laughs> no, never. But you know, hey, any way to make a buck, right? You, I, I'm imagining the the uh, Nine Inch Nails shirts that she wears in the movie. I imagine you're going to see a lot of uh, 40-somethings wearing them. That's a great yeah, shirt, so. too. I she, love and it. she had all all of yeah. her 90s t-shirts were bands, weren't they? She had a Heart t-shirt on at one point and a Guns N' Roses t-shirt on at yeah. one point, too. Yes. So that's interesting. Yep. There was really yep. kind of hard-hitting uh, music aspects of uh, trying to make it a period piece. A another aspect of the music yeah. is that um, this was the first female composer in the MCU. Is that right? Yeah, it was. It was uh, Pinar Toprak, who I can't remember where she's from. Somewhere... Oh, I don't have it in front of me, but um, she uh, largely, I think, is most known for uh, she from Turkey. She's a Turkish composer, 
Um, but what she's really kind of burst on the scene with is, is as far as composing goes, that that she did a uh, Fortnite, and that kind of exploded oh. into <laughs> into something for her. Uh, so that's wait. Have wow. you guys have you yes, played Fortnite? I, I have not. I haven't. I'm, I'm not a first person shooter yeah, kind of guy. A couple either. times. So you have. Yeah. Yeah, is the music a couple is the music times. like a note? I, I don't. I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't paying attention to the music. I was just avoiding being <laughs> shot. That's, I wasn't. I played a couple times. But, uh, so, but she did Krypton, the, no. the the music for the TV series, also. So, I mean, she's just oh, dabbled okay. in in kind of the okay. superhero sides of things as well. So, oh, and also Justice League. She did some additional music on that. She was additional music. Composer. Okay, right. Okay, she's 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 from gotcha. the Hans Zimmer. Uh, school school yeah, of all of those okay yeah but uh, uh but and that's something i really i mean i very much applaud these filmmakers for really pushing to bring on uh so many women in in some of these creative roles um i i think that's a fantastic thing to push for and i think they've uh created some great stuff whether it's the costume design i think that uh sanja uh, uh milkovic hayes did some great stuff with the costumes whether it's the alien races or the 90s costumes whatever it is uh just the the uh the uh, just all of these teams the you know that they that they kind of built just created a really really whole world um but i I, you know just to going back to the music though with pinar and and her score it's um it uh it unfortunately does kind of like i said earlier it fits into the mcu where it is kind of this it works but in in so many ways it ends up being kind of uh forgettable and it's kind of frustrating right it ends up being a variation on a theme yeah all right. Well, if uh, if that's all we have to say about this deal, I think it's about time that we rank it. Yes. Do you guys have any uh, ending comments that you want to throw out there? Um, just a last note, uh, Captain Marvel. Uh, Steve and I talked about a little bit on the Saturday matinee, our, oh, uh, yeah. our Patreon show, just kind of the numbers in the box office of the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, Captain yeah. Marvel, at, just after one day set the record for the biggest 2019 weekend and i know it's only you know two really? two plus months into the year so far but just one day it already had made 61 point uh, almost 61.4 million and uh was already in sixth place just after that for for the 2019 domestic chart and uh they are estimating that it's going to be projecting or coming in between 145 to 155 or more million on its opening weekend which um, looks to push it up to uh toward the top of the um uh of kind of the i, I can't remember what they were saying but i they're they're estimating it, it could uh it could be right up toward the top of the uh the films the mcu uh releases so my theater my theater was showing it uh in 2d on every half hour over the course of its opened as the theater was open i don't know how they were managing that with the different with the different theaters and then also having a 3d show yeah. too and wow. they were all pretty much filled they weren't sold out but they were uh they were down to singles so it's definitely oh yeah it's definitely pulling them in i i very much look forward to seeing how this one's going to do at the box office i'm curious if it's going to crack into the uh the top five with uh because steve and i were talking about this morning so many of the films in the top five as far as adjusted gross are the avengers films the kind of the the group films because yeah because everybody who might love a particular hero um 
is likely going to see that just so they can see their Shows hero, yeah. but they might skip some of the other ones. And so, um, but Black Panther was the anomaly that kind of crept into that top five. So I wonder if Captain Marvel will do the same. Well, I imagine next month we'll be talking about whether or not Endgame is going to beat the numbers of Captain Marvel. And based on the trends that we you know talked about, because it is everybody, I'm imagining that Endgame's going to break any of those records on its its opening weekend. I wouldn't be surprised. All right, let's head all on right. over to Frick, FlickChart. We've got all the movies that we've talked about on this show ranked over at FlickChart.com slash TNR Filmboard. FlickChart is a really cool site where you can create a tournament-style stack ranking of your movie preferences. So check it out and find out how your film favorites fare against ours. Uh, Andy, where do we start for FlickChart today? Starting off with Captain Marvel or Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Oh, <laughs> Captain Marvel. <laughs> I am going to say Captain Marvel. I am going to say Valerian. Weirdly. I never would have yes, in weirdly. a million years it, guessed it was I would have said that. It was wow. a coin flip for me, yeah. but I'm going yeah, with Captain That's Marvel. totally fine. Captain Marvel or Fury? Fury. I will say Captain Marvel here. I don't know why. I just... <sighs> Fury just... Fury. That, that I, maybe I need to watch movie. again, but uh, the fl- farther away I get from it, the, l- the less interested I am, and it, it yeah. gets worse and worse. <laughs> really? No, I. That's that's one that I just. Yeah, I keep thinking I need to see that again because I remember having a really good time. So I'm going to go with Fury on that one because that just we had such a great time discussing that. Yeah. Okay. I'm right there with you. Yeah. Captain Marvel or Looper? I'm going to say Looper. Looper. Okay. <laughs> what would you have? <laughs> Well, yeah, well how do you pick? feel? I, you know, I... I know your vote doesn't count. No, it's now, a, and the thing feel? is, I I really want to love Looper because I love Ryan Johnson, but there was there was something about that one that I don't know if I just heard so much hype about it that I just was like, yeah, it's good, but I, did, I don't love it. So, yeah, I would pick Captain Marvel because for some reason I just have this like, yeah, it was okay. I had issues or maybe I was not 100% focused because I didn't see it in the theater. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it does have a flurkin. So. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. All right. Captain Marvel or First Man. I have to abstain from this one. Oh, Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. <laughs> People hate you guys for that, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, I know. But... Yeah, well. oh, we yeah. have a battle of, of Marvel got, yeah. captains. Captain Marvel or Captain America the Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. Yeah, Winter Soldier oh. for me. Oh, even with the exposition bunker. Yeah. But I know you guys had issues I, with the first act. These are coming up against all the ones that you uh, hate. Right. No, no, I don't, it's, I don't it's hate really it. It's easy for you to choose. No, no, no. no. I, I, cause I, I agreed. Like I said, there, there's some moments of Captain Marvel that are a little flat. I didn't have as many issues with the first act as, as you two did with Captain Marvel, but I, this is one that, I, yeah, I'm happy either way. All right. Well, on that one. So, yeah. Doesn't matter. Well, uh, Winter Soldier, it is, uh, and yeah. and Flickchart's doing that weird little thing where it's not. Uh, it, there's one more between uh, Winter Soldier and Captain Marvel, and it's not letting us pick it um, because That's it weird. does that depending on how many numbers you have in the oh, in the okay. ranking where it can't. Sure. Oh, because it would it would go up against Age of Ultron. Right, Age of where, Ultron is where yeah. it's, but it's skipping that yeah. one. It's not letting me do that one. So, oh, okay. Um, but that lands it at number thirty-five on our chart out of seventy-nine films. So, okay. it's uh, oh, a little, just a little bit above, above average. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, 
Yeah, it was, I will tell you, I did that on my personal flick chart and it, uh, it was pretty low. Um, it ended up being the lowest of the Marvel movies for me, which I thought was really surprising uh, that we've done, which we've done nine of them. So that, that I found really interesting. Uh, as far as your rating and your like it, it, for me, it was a two stars and a not like. Oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I was very much let down by this movie. Even now that you know she's Tesseract powered, does that help? <laughs> you know, y- y- yes, okay. but it didn't change my stars. Okay, I'll say that. Oh, okay. Because I'm going to go with four stars and a like. Cool. I am I'm real torn on this one. Um, I I feel like I am. I feel like our conversation. I've actually grown a little bit in appreciation for it, but uh, not cool. a ton. I was originally at two and a half with a like, though, so but gonna, now I'm at a three and a like. So, so you just, yeah, you go right there in the middle. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. So that's a three. A three. That's a easy a three, yeah. three with a like average that we ended up with here. Nice. Where do we go from here? We're going next month to the end game. Avengers Endgame, which is really exciting. Uh, 22 movies. The culmination of a lot of things. I was hoping that this movie was going to tell me more about what was going to happen in Endgame, and it did not. So, um, yeah, so I'm, I have the still baited suspense, enjoyment, excitement that I had before I watched Captain Marvel this morning. Yeah. You, we only get a tiny hint of that and that's in the, uh, in the, in the mid credits scene. She shows yeah. up. She shows up. What does that mean? That's not, that told us nothing. We what? knew she was going to show up. Yeah, it was, <laughs> I mean, I, I, it worked on. for me. I, I, it worked for me. Audience, yeah. Our Four audience films ago, she was flipped paged. out with that. I was. Oh yeah. Was really? Huge. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. All right. Uh, on to the main show. You, you guys finished with Rocky now, right? What's next? Creed 2 is coming out uh, later this week. Okay. And that will be cool. the end of it. And then what's the what's the series after that? The uh, the next series is going to be the A Star is Born series. We're going to be looking at, at all oh, four fun. of the films uh, that are, are that are under that moniker. I think I might try to watch some of those with you guys and especially the new one because I still haven't seen the new one and it's a movie that's right up my alley. I just haven't been, uh, to be honest, emotionally prepared because I know it's going to hit me really hard and it's, from what everybody says, it's a real tearjerker. It's a real intensely dramatic film. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, And I I need to test you, Andy, because we do this now. Where are we right now (laughs) in the Marvel Movie Minute? Uh, Marvel Movie Minute, we uh, are, uh, let's see, this is coming out on Tuesday, so we will have uh, be... Uh, episode 47 for minute 47 will be will be coming out today uh, you're later this afternoon. not quite halfway done with iron man yet not quite right? not quite no yeah. that's awesome it's it's such an awesome <laughs> monumental task yeah we're I, we're right I, in the middle I, of I the marvel. press conference is where he, where we are i am iron man not, no, not that I, press conference. I marvel oh that's yeah, the last this one. is the yeah, one yeah. where he uh, just got I'm, back yeah I marvel at your uh, your aspiration that you're doing with this, and I think it's fantastic, and I'm excited to be part of more going forward. Also, uh, I forgot to talk about it in the show open, but all you wonderful people in the world should come join us over on our Discord server at thenextreel.com. Let us know you want to hang out there, and it's where we gather with our fun film family and discuss lots of remarkable things from throughout the entertainment universe. There's also specific chats about all of our shows, so come and join our gang and interact with us on the internet because we like the attention that's where we'll keep these conversations going but for this one say good night andy nelson good night andy nelson <laughs> and one more word from steve sarmento hondo 
That's the one. At the next reel, when the movie ends, our conversation begins. Till next. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. Thenextreel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to thenextreel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 